What do you get when the audacious and the therapist collide? A crash course in unpolished therapy. Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca aren't afraid to spin out of control, tackling all the tough talk. Their weekly sesh meets at the corner of Audacity and Advice, where their wheels and yours get turned upside down. Hey guys, happy Wednesday. It's Rachel Silver Cohen and Dr. Boca. And you know what that means. It's unpolished therapy time. Hey, Dr. Boca. Happy Wednesday. Hey, Rachel. I love our Wednesdays. Good to see you. It's nice to be seen. Nice to be seen. What do you want to jump into today? I know people are so excited about our Wednesdays, just the way that we are. So I think they're anxious to hear what we have in the queue. So I have gotten some feedback that people are interested, and I guess it's because I'm a therapist. People ask me about this all the time, is family dynamics. And as a therapist, such a fun topic for me to cover because I think that's where all the richness of our neuroses comes from. But in particular, it's such a daunting and humongous topic. So I want to start, no pun intended, relatively small, right? I want to start in a relationship that might be easier to dissect or to process. I think maybe let's start with sibling dynamics because those are fascinating. And obviously it's going to take us other places and future podcasts might take us to, you know, some of the bigger issues like our parents and blended families and extended families, but I need to rein it in a little bit. It's been a long week already and it's only Wednesday. I think we might be able to accomplish it by just talking about sibling relationships and sibling dynamics because even that in and of itself is pretty complicated. I would say so. I mean, the seeds of siblings that are planted are fairly deep rooted. So sure, I'm ready to dive in. There's some unpolished plants that we can pour some water on and see, you sh- see how they sprout, right? Are you sure we're pouring water on those or a I little know, alcohol? I, I know. I actually, you want to talk about siblings, I should grab a alcohol alcoholic beverage. But no, listen, siblings and the rivalry that Mm -hmm. ensues or the camaraderie, if -hmm. you will, I think it runs the gamut, so to speak. All right. Well, I'll go first. Yeah, you you have some interesting stuff. So share with us. Well, it's funny because I don't know that people, well, I do know. I know that people don't know this as much as I think that they would. I feel like I'm an open book and people know about me. And so many times I will say what I'm about to say and they're like, oh my God, I had no idea. So, well, what is it they had no idea about? So I am a twin. Okay. So the first thing I get from people when I say that, they say, oh my God, there's two of you. you? There's two of you. You've got to be kidding. And then I have to reel it in. And then I have to, and I hate this. It's like, I have to like substantiate what I mean by that. Well, yes, I'm a twin. I mean, full blown, born and bred twin, but I am the byproduct of, I have a brother who's a twin, a boy, girl. Okay. So it's not another girl per se. You know, there's another Rachel out there. No way. There's only one of me, one and done. They broke the mold and I'm, I'm kind of proud of that. So the next question I'll get is, oh my God, you're a twin. Are you identical? Okay. Then I have to check their intelligence at the door, okay? Because I don't know, unless this is just something as a twin you're aware of and other people aren't, but you cannot be identical if you're a boy and a girl, okay? It's just It doesn't work like that. And not just because you have different body parts, but just from the science of it, identical twins, it's one egg that breaks into two. Yes. Okay. And that's what identical twins are. Fraternal twins. Now you can be boy, boy or girl, girl and still be fraternal. Mm -hmm. That would mean that there are two eggs that grow in the uterus. 
um, my brother and I, we were just two eggs that happened to have been one male and one female. So with that being said, we are not identical. We are fraternal twins. To look at us, you wouldn't even know that we grew up in the same house. That's how different we look physically, I guess. But that being said, there's a lot to unpack about being a twin and siblings in general. I don't think that we want to put ourselves into a corner here with just twins. For me, though, being a twin, I didn't know anything else. Right. Right. So, you know, people, oh my God, that must be so hard. Or was that difficult? Or are you close? Or, you know, you get again those basic questions. If you put your hands on a hot stove, can your brother feel it? You know, that's pretty basic <laughs> twin questions, right? The answer is unequivocally no. Now, maybe there are some twins that have that twin power out there. I'm going to guess that if that does exist, it's more identical, first of all. And then I think maybe the dynamics, and that's, I think, where we want to dive into just in general, the dynamics of your relationship on, you know, how you see things and how you process things and how you line up on certain issues. I'm going to throw out a broad stroke and then I'm going to let you narrow it in a little bit. Okay. Growing up as a twin, my brother and I could not have been more different relative, as I mentioned, to what we look like. But I think also in our personalities, in our friends, in our likes and our dislikes, our interests, so on and so forth. And that carried through a lot of my childhood, our childhood. As we got older, I feel like the polished answer is that our differences maybe brought us together a little bit more. But again, that's the polished answer. I think the unpolished answer is the truth. And I think our differences are still our differences. I think the only thing that really binds us now about those differences is just maybe having an underlying respect for one another that we are two individuals and we don't necessarily have to see eye to eye on everything. The question that I'm going to pose to you, though, is how do siblings twins, not twins, whatever. How do you grow up under the same roof, okay? And the mores, if you will, that are learned. I mean, you grow up as a clean slate. What you're learned, what your mom and dad teach you. How do you grow up under the same umbrella, but then shift and sort so differently at such an early point of the game, right? So (laughs) it's a good question. And I'm not a twin. Okay, I do have an older brother. So, but I have worked with twins, which I think is fascinating. I've worked with identical twins. I've worked with paternal twins. And it is truly, I mean, talk about just absolutely fascinating as a psychologist um, having that experience. So I can only speak to having a sibling of a different gender and who's older than me. Yes, we are born as a, a blank slate. However, we are born into a family. And in that family, we have roles. And so, for instance, I'm the youngest. So I came in and there was already a brother there. They've already gotten out all of their firsts, all of their anxieties on, am I going to kill the kid when I drop him? Am I going to, you know, if he doesn't get fed, like, is his head going to spin off? You know, like, what's going to happen, right? So they think he was God, like revolved around him. Everything did because he was the first child, which typically happens, okay? Not always, but typically. So then you bring another child in into that same environment, but some of the novelty has worn off, right? And I used to joke when I had children, the first is all about anxiety, 
you're throwing out the pacifier when it falls on the floor. You're sterilizing the bottles a hundred times. The second one, you don't give a shit about any of that. All you care about is logistics. Like, how am I going to get this one to school while this one's sleeping? So automatically, my temperament as a parent, i.e. my parents' temperament, was different when the second one came around. So even though you're growing up in the same house, just something like that, the temperament style of how they relate to you. Then I'll use me as an example. I had It's funny, I was just thinking about this today, not even knowing we were going to be talking about this directly. Um, I had, and I'm going to forget what it's called. It's like pylostenosis. It's when your stomach valve doesn't close your first year of life. And sometimes you go in and do a procedure, sometimes it closes spontaneously. But what that led was me to throw up after every single bottle. Okay. So I was this skinny, like chicken little thing, but I threw up after every bottle. So my father wouldn't hold me because he didn't want to ruin his outfit for the day. So I wasn't held by my dad after I ate for an entire year of my life. Well, that's going to build a different bonding experience. And I'm sure my mom, I love her to pieces, but I'm sure she got probably annoyed and pissed off every time she fed me that I threw up on all over her. So she probably wanted to throw me away. Right. So, and my brother had, um, what's that thing when they cry all the time and they're calling. Oh, Right. Like you want to throw your kid out the window, right? So like it's that bonding and reactions to one another that also create our early experiences, our early temperaments, our early styles, our ways of relating to our parents and other people. One of the things I just want to say, I love about us that we don't really talk ahead of time. You know, remember how back in the day, like Regis and Kathy Lee, like one of the things about their dynamics is that they didn't really socialize outside of their time together. They didn't compare notes or anything like that. And then when they were on camera, that's kind of why they jived as well as they did. I love that you just told that story about you vomiting all the time. (laughs) Um, Because as you're saying, I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, we could not have planned that. Because I just had this memory that when I was a kid, according to my mom and dad and everyone older than I was in my family, I was a crier and I used to cry all the time. I still am, by the way, as an adult. (laughs) I cry at everything. I know, I cry all the time. But um, my parents tell a story that when I was a baby, like clockwork, their routine, my father would come home from work, he would come in, I would be hysterical crying to the point of vomiting every single solitary night. Okay. For what the reasons are, I have no idea. I mean, I I was a baby and it got to a point. And according to my father, it was just too much. There was nothing wrong. Like, what could you possibly be crying about? And one night he had had it. That was it. He said he came home from work. He had had it with the crying. I got to the point where I had vomited everywhere in my crib and all that. Mm -hmm. And he came into the room. He took the vomit. (laughs) He took the vomit and he smeared it like all over me. Okay. And I guess this was kind of like the most unpolished Pavlov's dog type of ferberizing. We are putting this to an end right now. And he left me in the crib with the vomit everywhere. And he shut the door. And that was that. And you know what he said to me? He said, do you want to know what came next? And I said, what? He said, you never once cried and vomited again thereafter. So is that borderline child abuse? (laughs) I don't know. But according to him, that method worked. And I never vomited again. And So that's 
awesome parenting. <laughs> I love I mean, that. I don't know what kind I mean, of parenting. I don't know what that is. It probably has traumatized you on some level, but probably. it worked. Okay. As a therapist, I would have a lot of fun with that at some point. But that being said, that was different than what your brother received. Right? Well, according to my parents, my brother's shtick, and I don't know how they unshticked him on this, if that's even a word, but he, and is it, maybe this is some type of kid thing. He used to like bang his head a little bit on that the crib, like rocking, right? rocking. Like, is that a thing? I don't know what was going on in my household. I was crying and vomiting and my brother was banging his head. It was like an insane crib. asylum I there. I don't know. I mean, listen, it is what it is, right? That's maybe, maybe that does explain some things. I don't know. Well, he had shtick. You had shtick. How they responded to your shtick was different. And that's the okay. whole, that's what I'm trying to get at is that our parents respond to us differently. Um, you know, you hear all the time that, dads have a thing for their little daughters, right? Moms have a thing for their sons. You know, that's what they say in the books, okay? Mm -hmm. So they're responding to you as a daughter differently. You know, your father's responding to you as a daughter differently than he's going to respond to his son and vice versa with your mom. And so that's how when you live in the same household, you guys can develop two totally different personality styles, temperaments, and the way that you relate to other people. Well, and that's fair. But let me ask you this then. Yes. How do you then explain when brothers and sisters, sisters and sisters, brothers and brothers, whatever, are unbelievably close mm -hmm. uh, versus not being as close. I mean, there's got to be some type of method to that madness also, if it stems from the top, which well, is kind of like what you're saying. I mean, look, it's nature nurture. Nobody has been able to pick apart. I mean, this is like the longest ongoing saga, you know, talk about some um, soap operas that have been going on forever. This has been going on forever. Is it nature nurture? It's both. I mean, you do have a personality style, what they call it the temperament, but I just blurred the temperament being, you know, nature and nurture. But the truth is, we also have to look at what are the dynamics and the attachment styles that we develop? And when we develop certain attachment styles, if you come from attachment theory, the attachment style that we develop with our parents is going to affect the attachment style we develop with our siblings and other people in our life. So you and your brother being twins, one would guess, okay, in utero, um, you guys were connected, not, you know, not physically connected, but you mm -hmm, guys were mm -hmm. connected. You come out, and he is the first person that you are looking for when you come out. And you guys are separated and put into a hospital NICU thing or whatever. And then you come out and mom can only give so much attention. So I'm sure that what used to be this, I need him, I need him, I need him, now becomes this competitive who's boob or who's getting bottle. Who's going to be let to cry and who's not. So twins oftentimes have a bond because they're twins that are fundamental because they share that space together and they do everything in their life together, but they also have a lot more competition, whether it's verbalized or not verbalized. The difference between boy, girl, 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 boy, boy, twins, okay, mm -hmm. versus siblings is they are not in the same age bracket. The twins are and the non-twins aren't. So sometimes it's harder to be as close when your siblings older or younger, depending on how big a span it is and that what their interests are. So for twins, it's sometimes a little bit easier because you guys are the same age doing the same thing, but it breeds competition. So there's pros and cons, and I don't know if I'm totally answering your question. I think that it's also what is the nature of the household? Is one child favored over another? And 
not stated favored, but, you know, in action, because that would develop them to pull apart. Are they treated almost identically, no pun intended, as twins, then they're probably likely going to be closer. So again, it's not answering your question necessarily, but it all... No, well, I think it's shedding some light and I think it's giving at least myself and, and other people out there listening just some insight and some knowledge as to the backstory on dynamics. I would like to think that, well, I was going to say, if my brother was listening to this podcast, and the irony is, is that I know he's not, mm. okay? And Neither what does that say? Okay, yeah, but maybe, and I don't want to speak for your brother, maybe he's not listening for whatever his reasons are. I feel like my brother's not listening because I don't know that he really even gives a shit. And I feel badly about that. I do, and I'll say this, I wish we had a tighter bond. Now, do I feel the pressure of saying, I wish we had a tighter bond because we're twins? And I'm saying that, you know, with my air quotes versus just because we're siblings. And I want to say at this stage of our life, at you know, almost 50 years old, the twin thing for me is kind of secondary. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's my brother. I love mm-hmm. him. I know he loves me. That's, you know, silver twin power activate bullshit <laughs> is kind of just bullshit. It's a facade. It's, you know, it's something that that people can point to. Oh, you're twins or whatever. That in and of itself might have been a competitive Mm -hmm. umbrella that was put out there that we didn't even have anything to do with necessarily. I don't think that my parents pitted us against each other at all. And I'm not just saying that because they probably are listening and I don't want to get yelled at, right? That's a whole nother conversation. But I don't think that there was any kind of conscious, let's have them vie it out and see who wins. I truly, in my heart of hearts, don't feel that way. I think maybe society might put competitive pressures on and not sure. just for twins, maybe all, you know, siblings of, of all ages, even, you know, two sisters, who's the prettier one, who is the skinnier one with boys, let's say, again, I'm stereotyping so much here, but who's smarter, right? Mm-hmm. Who's, who's more athletic, <laughs> right? So I, I think all of that falls in and that's why I want to extrapolate out the twin thing. Mm-hmm. I feel as though we're, I'm comfortable saying more to the siblings in general, because we weren't the, you know, and I used to say this kind of, you know, in in our later years, like we're not Brenda and Brandon Walsh. Okay. (laughs) And for those of you out there, you know, if I've dated myself here, you know what that reference is. I'm sure again, you know, my mom and dad who are listening are like, who's Brandon and Brenda Walsh. <laughs> Look it up, mom and dad. But nevertheless, we weren't that fairy tale TV show, you know, brother, sister attached at the hip kind of thing. And I'm okay with that. But I do feel as we've gotten older and he lives in one part of the country and, and I live somewhere else, I wish that we had more of a sibling bond. And then if that speaks to the twin thing, then maybe that's added pressure I'm putting on myself because we don't have that. Right. And that sounds like, you you know, I think we have to look at it as you guys are siblings before you're twins in that way because of how you're explaining it. But look, I can be honest with you. My brother and I were very close as children. You know, he was, we would play every sport together. We would be each other's like constant companion from what I remember. And then as we got into our teen years, we kind of did our own thing. And um, we had an interesting experience where our parents divorced. And when he left for college, he went and lived with my dad and I stayed with my mom. So there was that dynamic that kind of pulled us away. But my brother and I are very, very different people. And for many, many years, we were, you know, we love each other, but that was it. We didn't really have a relationship until my dad died. 
And I can tell you to this day, I'm forever grateful for the fact that my brother is amazing in crisis. And my brother stepped up and basically just picked up the ball and kept it rolling down. I don't even know the metaphor, but rolling down the hill, we were able to kind of fill in where the other one wouldn't because I think they're our first friend, right? So we go back to knowing on some level what they need in that moment and doing our best because we grew up with them. Like they were assuming you're growing up with your sibling. They're right there, right? But our personalities have changed. The way that the expectations, your parents didn't pin you guys against each other. My parents didn't pin us against each other. But the expectation of being a boy in my family from other generations, they were treated differently. Like I can tell you my grandfather, my grandfather would give us money all the time when we saw him. Crazy story that I'm remembering this right now. And he would hand my brother a $50 bill and he would give me a 20. And I would say, Opa, he goes, well, he has to take people out on dates. I'm like, what do I have to do, right? And it was just this way of being old school German, you know, that coming with this mentality that boys were different than girls. I know that my father was harder on my brother to teach him how to take responsibility for things and be better in business and, and all of that. And for me, I didn't have to, like, I just had to do whatever I wanted to do. So it, we weren't pinned against each other necessarily, but our personality styles developed differently. And then we did our own things. And then after that, when I finally moved into the same geographic location and we had kids and we wanted the cousins to grow up near each other, that brought us back together. And even though we have very, very different personality styles, we complement each other's shortcomings very well. And I'm grateful for that. So I do think that there are ways to move through differences and distance and emotional disconnection and bring it back to connection. And I just hope for you and your and your brother, it doesn't happen out of a trauma or a loss and that it can happen in some other way. Well, thank you. And I was going to say that as you were telling your story, how terrific it is that you guys are so bonded and bound to one another. But I hate that it came from a place of sorrow and sadness relative to divorce. And then, of course, grief relative to the death of your dad. For everyone out there, you know, you want to try to bridge gaps, certainly on positive notes and not as a result of something tragic or terrible. And when you were talking about it, though, if I could shift for a minute, you know, the interesting thing now that we are parents mm -hmm. and we have children who are siblings themselves, the silver lining, no pun intended on that one. But for me, when I heard you say that, I look at my kids, okay? And A, the fact that I have two boys, mm -hmm. okay, who are the same sex and, and I'm the only female. So that dichotomy is, is that's number one, that, that's such a change that I'm not used do. But number two, the silver lining in that I look at them and truly do marvel at their relationship. Mm -hmm. And they are incredibly close, not just because they're two boys that have a lot in common. Okay. But I think, and maybe people out there would argue with me on this. I think some of it indirectly is because they went through having to deal with their mom and dad getting divorced. Yep. And when you're in the moment, when you are the person getting divorced, even though the impact, of course, is so great on your children and you're so worried about them, you're, you're still focused to some degree on the big picture. 
that sometimes it's hard to zero in on all of the compartments in the mm-hmm. drawer, right? Sure. And it's only until after the fact do I now see that, wait a minute, not that they weren't close before, but they were little kids. They've had to navigate their way through this together. Mm-hmm. And by together, I don't mean that they've sat down like adults to hash out you know, hey, brother, let's sit down and talk about mom and dad's divorce right now. Okay, let's have a moment together where we can talk and cry like they're boys and they're little and whatever. But I just see it in the way that they legitimately have each other's back Mm -hmm. and care and some of their sensitivity that I see. Not that I'm condoning, you know, get divorced so your so your kids can <laughs> well, be. Oh, good. Thank you for that. No, I didn't mean you. I, I meant no, collectively. No, you know, I everyone understand. out there. But I just think now, like, wow, they truly are each other's best friend. And yeah. I'm kind of living vicariously a little bit through that because I don't know that I can say that about my brother and I. And and I I wish I could have. And Maybe one day we can. And again, I don't want it to be for something bad, but the way we look at our kids now and how we're raising them and then just naturally what evolves. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's kind of a cool thing. Well, so I have a different scenario. I'm not that my kids aren't close, but I have a boy and a girl. So it's very interesting for me as a mother now to watch my two kids as though I'm watching down and on my brother and myself growing up. The difference is my daughter's the older of the two. And um, they're about the exact distance apart that my brother and myself were. And we have kind of brainwashed them from the get-go. Like, you guys are best friends. Like, you have no choice. You will be the only person who will be there for each other no matter what. It doesn't matter what situation happens, but whatever that situation is, the only person who has the same early shared experiences is you two, right? So you want to keep each other around. And they But are they buying into that? They are. Okay. But is that because of, of your drilling it in? Because sometimes don't you feel as though the more you drill something in, the more people want to rebel? Yeah. So I am not the driller. My husband is the driller, but my kids, we try to encourage it. What I was going to say before you said that was that my husband's siblings are extremely close. There's four of them and they are extremely close. And so they love that we're constantly with the cousins on that side of the family, as well as, you know, my family, but more theirs because there's so many of them. And so they see the value of being close to family. And I will tell you that my kids fight. They fight like freaking cats and dogs. I want to like pull out my hair sometimes, but if one of them is upset or hurt or needing something, they are rallying for the other one. Whether or not it stays, I don't know because I always had my brother's back no matter what. And if he needed something, he wanted something, I would do it for him. I remember as a kid, he would come and we would play bank and he would come in and he would give me two $1 bills and he would say, can I have a five? And I would say, but a five is greater than two ones. He goes, no, that's two dot, like two, two actual bills is not greater than a five, one single bill, you know? So because the five was a one single bill, that was less money than the two single bills. And I was like, okay. And schmuck me did it because why not? It made my brother happy, right? So that was what ours was like. And I see my children doing that. They don't necessarily do it all the time. And I hope that it stays. I watched mine and my brother's not. But today, anytime I can't remember something that happened or anytime where I'm like, you know, our running joke is, mom, I know you're listening, but 
our running joke is when my mother pisses one of us off, we call the other one. I'm like, your mother, right? And I'm like, my mother, what did she do now? It's your mother. So we do have that bantering and he's the only person who has those shared memories. So by default, we are close because of that, because otherwise, who am I sharing that with? You're not. And it is true. And I think with all families, at the end of the day, you come back to, as we started this podcast, those sibling seeds, they Mm -hmm. are rooted in a foundation that no matter where the tree grows and how the branches branch off and where you live or what you study or who your friends are or what your political beliefs are, all of that, at the end of the day, you are rooted in the same foundation. And I think that is where maybe the respect piece comes from. Listen, I'm going to take it one step further and tell you too that my brother and I, even though we are so different, and I do hope that he feels the same way I do, that we have each other's back no matter what. Okay. We have time zones as a challenge now as well. And we really are far away, literally, but sometimes it does feel that, that we're far away emotionally because we're not talking as much and whatnot. But the interesting thing is, is that what you just said about the family dynamics, we have our inside little elbow jokes about our own parents and whatnot. And yeah, if my mom and dad are listening, too bad. (laughs) You know, we all do. I think think that is the beauty of siblings and Mm -hmm. you can come back to that. What I wanted to take one step further to just add more unpolished fuel to the fire is how about this one? So my twin brother, okay, he has children. He has a boy and a girl, and that boy and a girl, my niece and nephew, are twins. Talk about history repeating itself, and then being the parent twin of twins. You know, he's shared with me a little bit, not so much recently, but that he now, from his own psychology of Mm -hmm. being a twin, right? Trying to undo undo certain things that he does not want to lay on his children that Mm -hmm. were laid on to him, you know, unbeknownst to him, of course. Again, none none of it is done with intention, but he wants to potentially right some wrongs, if you will, so that they don't kind of follow suit to maybe some of the things that he feels, I guess, and everyone's entitled to their own thoughts and feelings on maybe the burden of being a twin. And that's awesome, but take that one step further. And that's truly what happens whether you're twins or not, every parent is doing that. Every parent is coming and every parent's parent and every parent's parent's parent is doing the same thing. Every time you enter into that next generation, you are trying to do it differently. You're trying to give them that which you didn't get, that which you think they need based on what you didn't get, that which you got you that you liked, you're giving more of. And this is what creates I'm not, I don't want to use the word pathology because I don't want to pathologicalize it. And that's not a word, but whatever. This is what creates a lot of the issues, let's call it issues, that we all have, right? Because it wasn't about us. It was about what my mother or father didn't get or got too much of in their childhood. So they tried to parent us because we're not giving rule books. We're only given what we ourselves have experienced and therefore made judgment calls based on those things that they wanted to fix the error or do the same or do differently. And therefore, we are parented that way and develop a a style of relating that could be different than what our sibling was getting or could be the same or could bring us closer, could bring us further apart. And it also is why I always tell people is you've got to 
resolve some of your baggage before you put it onto your children, because that's all you're really doing is you're emptying your suitcase and you're throwing all of that dirty laundry right onto your child as though they're going to fold it and put it away. No, they're going to leave it and then they're going to put their stuff on top of it. And then they're going to try to throw all of that to their kids. And as you are, (laughs) as you're giving us this explanation, which thank you for that. And this is probably the time of the podcast where I should say, remember everyone out there, our disclaimers that, you know, for real therapy, call Dr. Boga when she's not doing the podcast because we're just, you know, having some fun here and it's not real therapy. Although to me, I really do take the information and I absorb it. And it is therapy for me as unpolished as it may be. But as you're talking about that, I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing as a parent that is messing my kids up and what happened to me as a kid that's making me parent the way that I'm parent that I'm now messing them up. And I I know, I think we might've talked about this in other podcasts for, you know, whatever the topic may be. And I say it tongue in cheek, but I also say it that like, I want an answer because, you know, I, I, are we, and I'm asking this question collectively, Mm -hmm. you know how they say that like, if you're really crazy, the really crazy people, the true lunatics out there. They have no awareness of how crazy they are. Correct. Right? Okay. Most times. So yeah. most times. Okay. So the good news is, is that I, I think I'm crazy. So maybe that means I'm really not that crazy <laughs> with, if that's the, the mindset we're going with. But do people collectively, are, are they aware of what the nuances are? Because I, I, I'm telling you, Dr. Roca, I'm sitting here thinking, what am I unpacking to now put in my kid's suitcase for them to unpack? If this is one big lineage of suitcases that we've all had to pay extra at the airport because <laughs> when you put the suitcase on, too heavy. That away, it's way too heavy. Totally. That's <laughs> why That's why I always say I am putting my kids therapy fund before I'm putting together my kids college fund because I know that, first of all, I'm very aware. I'm watching myself do it sometimes. So I might as well just, okay, you'll go to therapy, you'll resolve it, you know. But I think our generation does. I think our generation is a little bit aware of some of those things, not all of them, but we ourselves are in therapy, a lot of us, which I highly recommend to everybody so that for that exact reason, what am I putting on my kid or what am I putting in my kid's suitcase that they're going to have to schlep for years and years to come when they don't deserve to have to schlep it? Yeah. Yeah. I want to give that some thought. I know, and you use the dirty laundry analogy, but the reality too of you know, packing that suitcase. Someone who I find to be someone of great wisdom and intellect from a spiritual standpoint. Oh, you shouldn't say uh, that about me. Oh, well, there, I just said it. <laughs> but I, I have been told that when we act out. And will you, so I'm going to stick with the, with the dirty laundry thing, because in my house, you know, I, I do the laundry, I fold the laundry, but then the, but our rule around here is I'm not taking your laundry upstairs and I'm not putting it away. Mm -hmm. I'll do A and B. You have to do C and D and that's the way it's going to go. And if you don't, then you can do A and B also. So you're kind of ahead of the game, right? Mm -hmm. So I have found, and I test the waters on this, the let's see how long it'll take game, right? Till that basket gets brought upstairs and put away if I don't say a word, okay? Mm -hmm. And one day we'll go by, 
and nothing will happen. Two days will go by, nothing will happen. At this point, I'm like biting my fingers to not blow it and say, you know, hey, you guys, could you take the laundry upstairs? Because I'm testing and I, I want to see what will happen. Unequivocally, by day four, I've completely lost it. I've blown my stack screaming. How many goddamn days does this laundry basket have to sit here before you have to take? And I mean, I go bananas, right? right? What do you think? This is a hotel. I'm the chambermaid. Yada, 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 yada. Okay. So now back to in addition to you, but mm-hmm. my friend with dear wisdom and knowledge, I had relayed the story and she said to me, Rachel, you know that you blowing your stack about the laundry has nothing to do with the laundry. Right. Nothing. It's a trigger for you, mm-hmm. but the laundry is the least of it. And then we, we kind of dove into that. So I'm interested in you kind of taking a dive down with that too. I, I would imagine you agree with that. Yeah. Is that part of my dirty laundry baggage? It's, well, it, it's clean laundry now because it's you cleaned right. it. But right. no, look, it, it, all, all those big buttons that we have, that when we lose it, when it is magnified, right? That is because it is triggering us. It's, um, you know, we call it like, I always call it a, a transferential response to something, right? And something from our past that's recreated in the here and now that's bothering us. It's really not about the laundry. And I would have not even gone down that route. I would have also said, you set yourself up. You set yourself up. Just because you wanted to watch them fail, basically, or to put them through a test, all you would have had to say is, laundry's done, take it upstairs four days earlier, and you would have never hit that heightened area, right? So you set yourself up for that and good for you that you got to have an outlet of anger that had nothing to do with laundry that you created for yourself. And that's as as polished as it comes. But underneath all of that is, yeah, it's not about laundry. It's about you having certain expectations because you had certain expectations placed on you or you didn't have certain expectations placed on you. And you have to figure those out. And why are you putting them on your kids? Well, yeah. First of all, just to be clear, yes, I did have expectations put on me, or at least so I think. And, and, I, and I know that to be so true. Felt. And, or felt, yes. And that does make sense. I thought you were going to say it, it was a control thing, which maybe that has something to do with Oh, it it's too. in there. It's in there. Okay. But now I think what I'm hearing, and I'm assuming here, is that that now part of the dirty laundry that my kids are taking with them too will be my mom went bananas every yes. time I didn't do something. I right. meaning them. Right. So I failed. I didn't live up to my mom's expectations. When I piss off my mom, she goes ballistic. And then I have to now work on for the next four days, gaining back her trust, love, acceptance, appreciation, gratitude, whatever the case may be. So now I have to do that and carry that into my relationships. Where Am I always going to fall short? Is If I fail, is someone going to scream at me? Are they going to reject me? Are they you know, not going to love me for it. I mean, that's what this stuff triggers. And that is the ball that rolls down the hill and keeps growing. You know, I don't know what the saying is, but that's, you know, the ball moving down the field. Yeah. Whatever the case may be. Yes. That wasn't the analogy I was going with, but sure that one works. So those are the types of things that we need to be aware of. And let me reassure everybody, we are never going to be aware of all of these things. We have to understand that. We have to own that. We are always going to have triggers. We're 
always going to have, I hate this word, but imperfections. We're always going to have those moments where we are watching ourselves screw our children up. And the best that we can do in those situations is talk to them and apologize and explain to them that it was had nothing to do with them, everything to do with us. But at the same time, you have to balance with that is, yes, your, your job is to teach your children responsibility and they need mm-hmm. to take their laundry upstairs. So you have to find a place where you're not setting yourself up. You're not setting them up to fail. And you guys maybe just say, look, this is your responsibility and this is the expectation. And when I finish this, I will tell you once that it's there. And if you don't take it upstairs, then your allowance is docked. You're not going to be on Xbox. You're not going to have the keys to the car, wherever your kids are in that process. And there's consequences just like to come full circle. Your dad put the vomit all over your face right? You learned very quickly that there are rules and there are expectations there and there are things that I have to do. And if I don't do them, there's consequences. Yeah. And this is why, like, this is all such great stuff that if you're lucky enough to have siblings, who wouldn't want to kick back and, you know, have a drink and rehash all this fun stuff and talk about it now again, as we are young adults and going into these next generations of our lives where we have kids of our own that we're molding and shaping to sit with your adult now sibling and talk about how did you feel about this growing up? And how did you feel about that? And that in and of itself can be such a great bonding moment for siblings that already are close and maybe even use it as a way to bridge the gap for siblings that aren't. Like, I, I want to call my brother right now and say, <laughs> hey, you know, let's shoot the shit a little bit about childhood. Absolutely. And, you know, because we've had deaths in our family, my brother and I have done these things. And again, it shouldn't come from death or at family dinners or lunches or whatever. And we'll laugh about things. But what I've noticed is even though we were both there, we both experienced it very differently. Not all, but some of those things. So I always take that and I'm like, huh. Or he'll say something to me about somebody in our family and have a different interpretation based on his experiences with it. And I'll be like, oh my God, I never like saw that side of that, but I can totally appreciate that. So there is value and there is something very special. So if you have a conflicted relationship with one of your siblings or you want to be closer, all I can say is try really hard to build this relationship now, because those are the people that shared those same experiences. These were your best friends growing up and you have an opportunity to reunite with them and pick up where you left off and work through all of that and really have some of the best moments that you could possibly have with people that really understand what you lived through your entire life. I think you're so right. And, um, Again, when you said that you and your brother could be in the exact same scenario and then it's played out in your mind or your memory differently, neither one of you are wrong. And maybe when you're kids and, and I'm right, you're right, you're wrong, you're wrong. That's where maybe conflict comes from. But as you get older and you do appreciate each other's perspectives and you have that respect for one another, it isn't about right or wrong. It's just how you see it. And that's actually what excites me to want to have these type of conversations with my own brother instead of being judgmental. Like, that's not what happened because I know him well enough to know that he would probably think I was going to come at it from a combative Mm -hmm. point or this is how it was. And if I say so, then that's, that's it. That's the Bible, right? But if I came now from a place where we were welcoming the conversation of, wait a minute, I'd love to hear your perspective just for even just the fun of it, right? We, it doesn't have to be so serious. We can laugh about it. I think that that 
speaks volumes, right? And I agree with you and I encourage everyone out there, if for nothing else you got out of this today, call up your brother or sister, say hi, say what's up, pick a memory from childhood, ask them to retell it, and then just compare notes. How fun would that be? Yeah, I, I got to just add this one thing before we wrap up because our session is ending. I did something very cool for my mother. Somebody had recommended it to me. It's a, and I can get the name for another podcast, but it's a 365, no, I'm sorry, 52 week. They send an email with a question to, I, we picked it for my mother, right? Um, and it sends an email to my mother with a question about her childhood, her you know parents, I, friends, I mean, all different things, biggest adventure you've ever been on, worst experience, things you wish you could do over. And she writes it all up. And at the end of the 52 weeks, it all gets put into a book and I'll get a book and my brother will get a book so that we can pass it on from generation to generation. And I think it's a fun thing to do with your siblings because I bet you some of the things that you thought you knew about your siblings are not true. And the perspective that they had on the same things that you experienced, like who was your favorite, right? Like that question, or what was the best quality about your mom or dad? I bet you your answer would be very different than your brother's. So Absolutely. That sounds like fun. Definitely get out that information and let us know. And I guess we can post it on our website or on social media and we can pin it. And if people want to know what that is, because that does sound like a like a fun activity to do. But you're saying our session is up. We've covered a lot of ground here. And uh, I know we could keep going, but Dr. Boca, when you tell me that's our time, I have to abide by your rules. So there's always next Wednesday. I'll look forward to that. In the meantime, from Dr. Boca and myself, Rachel Silver Cohen, this has been another wonderful sesh of Unpolished Therapy. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next time. Great sesh, girls. Hey, everyone, like what you heard? Then don't miss out on what comes next. Subscribe now and please give the girls a five-star rating. Learn more at www.unpolishedtherapy.com. Find and like them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll see you next week when Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca ditch the couch, grab the mic, and break down all the wreckage. <laughs>